as you, as you think about this text this morning, we're going, of course, going to be in Psalm 66. And I want you to see that. I want you to have a heart of gratitude. And I hope I will. I mean, as we reflect on God and how he has provided for us. Uh, you know, I've thought about for years, what is a church uh, about? What does it exist for? What, why do we come together and do what we do? Um, and, and there's a, a lot of different ways that we could talk about that. But one way, you know, I've heard it described as a church is a city within a city. To declare all that the Lord of heaven and earth has, that, to declare to all that the Lord of heaven and earth has created us, he sustains us, and he redeemed us. And so we are really there to, to kind of invite people. We exist here to both glorify God, but then invite people to enjoy him. 1 Peter 2, 9-11 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, speaking of the church, a people for his own possession, that you might do what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's what the church does. The church says, I want to tell you about the light that has come to me. I want to declare to you about the light of the glorious gospel. I want that known. We want to be this little city within a city that says, we want to expose you to the light. The darkness is all around. The darkness is in your life. The darkness is in the nation. The darkness is in the world. But we have the light of life, and we want to declare that to you. And we want you to see it. And we want you to savor it. We are saying to you, come and see. And there are a lot of churches, I mean, certainly, that have all different kind of ways that they go about things. But at the heart of what we do here is we are going to ground you in the truth of God. And we are going to seek in such a way to do that so that you can be a light in the world. And so that is at the heart of what we do. We seek to do that week after week. Hebrews 10, verse 23 through 25 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the, as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. There are so many times I've sat down with people and said, listen, where do you put your life in a church? What kind of church do you put your life in? You put your life in a church where the light of the glorious gospel will shine brightly, where you will see, where you will understand, where you will taste and see that the Lord is good, where the word of God is clear, and where there is a community of people that long to know it and will stir you up in running the race because it's a long race it's a difficult race it is going to be filled with lots of troubles but along the way as you see and savor him you can press on as you look forward to the day drawing near where christ will call his people home that's what we do and mike smith said to me early on it's going to be hard for you to hold the line there 
It is going to be hard to continue to say as a church, we will stand on the word of God. We will hold fast to the gospel. We will not get entangled in all the worries of this present age and all the worries of the world in a crazy way. We will not be drawn away to some kind of like uh, grow church big quick scheme. We will stand firm on the gospel and we will do it and continue to do it and continue to do it and continue to do it. And we prayed, and there's many of you that have prayed, Lord, let us stand firm and stand fast in that hope. And so that's what we've sought to do. And we haven't done it perfectly, but we try because we say God is faithful, God is our Savior, God is the hope for the nations, God is the hope for your family, God is the hope for your life. And so we celebrate Him, we drive people towards Him, the thanksgiving goes to Him, and every single moment of every single service, every week, week in and week out, we have sought to say to you, you stand on the truths of God's Word. You meditate on the truth of God's Word. You hold fast to those truths. You delight in them. And the Lord will be faithful, even though He may carry you through many, many difficult days. He is faithful. And so, this is, Psalm 66, a psalm of thanksgiving. And it is reflecting on the faithfulness of God and His steadfast love for His people, and the kind of people that really are God's people. And it's driving us to that. So, the whole earth here is summoned to give thanks to God. It begins with a call to worship. We do those every week, not because we made that up. Because God made that up. He summoned His people. God is the initiator in any relationship ever. Man does not, man is hiding. Adam and Eve, they, they knew God and then they walk away from God and then they're hiding from Him. He pursues them. God calls us to Himself. God says, come and see me. And so He uses instruments and He says to the, those, at the psalmist writing, shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. He's saying, God is calling us to celebrate Him. That's what He does. Because that's the place of your greatest delight, is that you would know and see and declare and understand that He is God. And that He is good, and that He is right, and that He is just, and that He is our hope. Some people get so animated, and I'm one of them. I can get so animated uh, over a game. I mean, I, not all the time, but if I'm, like, in it, like, coaching or something, like, I can get really, like, animated, right? Because I, I love that aspect, those co the competition, all that kind of stuff. I once went uh, to church with a guy that, his, that he had a, like, heart attack during a Cowboys game. And his doctor's like, stop watching those, sh those, those games. Like, it's going to kill you. I mean, that's kind of what was going down. But it was like one of those things where you think, like, why do we get so caught up and enraptured in some of those things? 
with no desire to really celebrate God. Some of it has to do with just a, a lack of a knowledge of God experientially. Like both in your, like I know it intellectually, but also in your heart, like do you really see and savor Him? It certainly looks different with different people and different cultures and all that kind of thing. But, but, but we just have to say like personally or privately and publicly, do you reflect on the greatness of God? Now what you could say is, God's glory, His intrinsic glory, is who God is regardless of whether or not you acknowledge it or not. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you acknowledge it. But then, if you really grasp who He is, we are called to ascribe glory to Him. And what that means is, is I'm going to the Lord and I'm saying, uh, you are worthy of my worship. I'm ascribing that. I'm honoring Him with my whole Life. I'm reflecting on his character. I am seeking to give him the proper weight in my life. And that's just something I think you could think about in the sense of like, some of you, school starting up, there's so many activities going on. And many of us, we're, we have all these things going on. And you think, right, what, here's what happens in our culture. These things are more important. The culture is saying, this is more important, this is more important, and people are losing sleep, and they're stressed out, and they're running around frantically. Why? Because the culture is dominating their life. Why? Because they believe that, that like the greatest and most important thing in their whole life is doing everything but seeing and savoring and ascribing glory to God. That, that's a real problem. That is a real problem. It's a real problem in all of our lives, but it's just we have these moments and have those periods where you have to say, stop, do I really think God is more important than all of these things that are going on in my life? And you say, no, I don't think that. Well, do you live like that? Because in practice, it seems like that. In practice, you can say, I don't really believe that, but in practice... In practice, that's the big question. And so what we're saying is, hey, you shout for joy to God. Make much of God. Verse 3. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. He's saying, be in awe of what God has done. That takes reflection. You, you're like looking at the coming and seeing in part, is he's going to tell them of past events in the Bible that could, were being read to the people. You remember when Ezra read to the people and they wept. What happened? Their minds were so engaged in it that they could imagine being there. Their imaginations were struck. And they could see Pharaoh charging after, and they could see the children of God passing through the sea, they were able to see by the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, to see and understand His great deeds. The people of Egypt, when God was done with them, were cringing. When the people traveled to the, about to go to the Promised Land and Israel was scared, those people were cringing. 
Because everybody knew that their God had struck down the most powerful nation in the world. And so it's just important, I think, for us to understand we should reflect on the fact that God is God and that His enemies will not stand. They will not stand confidently forever. They will cringe at His name. We know that they will even come to a day where they'll want rocks to crush them rather than to face Him. That is how great He is. That is how powerful He is. Verse 4, All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. You know, this, this is a, a present tense that feels a little bit like a future. Some say it should be translated in the future, that they will do this. But it, it, and sometimes in the Scripture, the, the psalmist or whoever can write as if it has already happened because it will happen if God says it's going to. And so they sing praises to your name. And we know Jesus, uh, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. We also know among the people of God, there will be every tribe, tongue, and nation singing praises to God. And so we are calling people and and really that's what i I mean i kind of the lord's provided us a place to go but that place is going to be in a general area and it's going to give us a presence and i think there'll be some elements where you're saying to yourself hopefully god let us have a greater witness for your name let us be be used of you to call people to yourself we want to see that happen So, the whole earth is summoned to give thanks to God. There's a call to worship. And the call to worship is like he brings them there and then says, see what God's done for Israel? Do you see it? Look at verse 5. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did he rejoice in him. Who rules by his might forever whose eyes keep watch on the nations let not the rebellious exalt themselves so what's he saying he's saying come and see let me tell you a story let me tell you the story of God's interaction with his people let me tell you about the exodus come and see this great deliverance it becomes the story in the Bible as you read along through the Old Testament and into the new, the exodus is this thing of saying, come and see the power of God on behalf of His people, delivering them. Come and see and be in awe. Let that grow in your heart, or make your heart be filled with thanksgiving. These special people are rescued by God. You know, sometimes, I, I, didn't, I would have not thought about doing this, but... There was uh, certain experiences I had. I thought it's, it is really valuable. But the other night, I, I started, and so, I don't remember how we ended up in Exodus 14, but uh, Will, I, I, I started reading, and I paused for a second, and then he started reading, and then I started reading, and then he read, and it bounced. we went through that Exodus 14 passage that reflected on God's great deliverance. 
And sometimes that's important just to say, let's stop and consider. And I think it's important for all of us, both in our families and as a church, to reflect on God's saving work. Now, I want you to notice something here. He says, this is what they did. They passed through the sea. They passed on dry land. And there did we rejoice in him. Now, that's another thing. In Exodus 15, they, a song was written. And everybody was singing. Right? I assume. They were all singing. They were led in song as a result of the great deliverance. It's the same way as you coming here and we're saying, look what God has done. And then you sing. You sing praises to His name. It's an expression of what is of what in our hearts of what God has done. We're doing that with our mouths. It's something God has used throughout. We're singing. We're reading. Sorry, today the Psalms, right? And and that's just. I think it's important for us. And there's a emphasis even in our church on corporate singing. I mean, where we want you, and we do that. You'll notice in services they'll pull back. And make sure that you, you're, can we hear you singing? It's not the greatest environment to hear people singing. But you're singing. And you're singing praises to our God. So we're centering our everything on the hope in the gospel that we have. And we're saying, respond. 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 Respond in singing. Why are you sleeping? Have you not truly experience the saving work of God in your heart? Why are you silent? If you've experienced that. So come and see a heart that has grasped that reality, their mouths begin to reflect that in their singing. That's just kind of common Christianity. So I think it's important to say to us, like that's what we do. We declare those wonderful things and we come singing praises to our God for what He has done for us. Verse 7 says, this great God who saved us, he, his, he rules the whole universe. Whether they are under His care in the sense of His special people, they're not, but He's still ruling over the nations. And he's watching over them. And we'll see that throughout in the scriptures where these great nations will arrogantly stand against God and God will smash them to the ground. He is not unaware of what goes on. And some of us might be in fear often of whatever things going on with the nations, but in reality, our God is seated on the throne and he rules over the nations. So, as a Christian, we are not looking at the first exodus as much as we are the second exodus. Right? Where Jesus, I mean, we see that on display at some level in the Gospels where Jesus, uh, people follow him out into the wilderness and he feeds them, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000 the Jew and Gentile people, and he's gathering together a church where he is demonstrating, I have come to bring about a new exodus. 
At some level, I am this new Moses, the deliverer who has come to rescue you. And so we, as God's people today, as we reflect on it, we are thinking about the great sacrifice and the great salvation that has come to us. It is greater than breaking the back of Egypt. It, it, it is. It's so much more glorious and so much more powerful. It is an eternal exodus. It is not just stepping out of one nation, going to another earthly spot of dirt. It is a, a, an eternal work of redemption. So the whole earth is summoned. Give thanks to God. There's this call to worship. There's this look and see what God has done for Israel. And then the nations are really, really strongly called here to see this story of redemption. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of His praise be heard who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. So they're, they're, as they're looking into this, it's like, have you, have you noticed that through it all, God's people always ended up okay? When everything looked like a total catastrophe and everything is lost, God delivers them. One author said, Israel is God's storyboard to the nations. He's disclosing the way in which He works. He is writing a narrative. It's His story and His people are a part of it and He is rescuing them. And the question today for us is like, have you entered in? Have you entered in? Are you walking among His people? Are you truly one of His? One of those who put their hope and faith in Christ, have you come into the family? It's almost like he's saying, come bless our God. Hey, come and be like Ruth, who said to her mother-in-law, when her mother-in-law said, go back to your people and to your gods, and she says, no, I'm going with you and your people and your God. Come and be a part of this. He is calling them, saying, listen, nations, every tongue, tribe, and nation. The Revelation says God is in, in Christ is calling people from every tongue, tribe, and nation to join in the salvation of God. And a church is doing that. A church and a community is saying that and should be striving for that and longing for that. It's almost like we should say to you and, and to the world, like out there, and we should be doing this, join in. There is a coming judgment. If you are hoping in all that you have made for your life, you are hoping in something that will not save. It's almost like you could say here, like those who walked on dry land or sat in the ark during the flood, come join in and see and savor the Lord. Or you could say, Abandon that house 
that you have built on sand and build your house on the rock. And that rock is Christ. That's what we were saying to people. There is a coming flood of judgment that is going to be so great upon those who have rejected our God, they will face His judgment. There is only one lifeboat. There is only one ark. There is only one place for you to build your life. There is only one solid foundation. There really is only one spot, trail, dry land for you to walk on. Put your feet there. That's what this church does. We say to you over and over and over, stand firm and declare the glorious gospel to the world. Stand on the foundation. We don't say, hey, come here, you'll have a lot of fun. Hey, come here, we will like do whatever we can. Hey, come here, we're going to have fog machines. Hey, come here. And we don't make this long list of like, hey, we'll just like throw this at you and throw this at you and throw this other thing at you and everybody will be smiling and they'll have candy all over their face when they leave. That is not what we say. What we say, there is a God. He created the earth and everything in it. You owe your allegiance to Him. And one day you will face Him in judgment or you will experience eternal bliss with Him. The, the road that we're walking on is very frightening in this world because there are dangers all around us. And as we are passing through the waters of judgment on dry land and we're looking around and we're seeing the waters here and the waters here and the nation like ch chasing after us to destroy us, we are standing on feebly. Uh, personally, I'm like sometimes thinking like I don't even know... I, you know, nervous or scared or whatever, but we are trusting in the Christ, the one who is leading us, who has delivered us, who's gone before us, who blazed a trail for us, and we are saying to the world, there is one hope in the coming judgment, and if you don't set your life here, there is no hope for you. That's what we do. That's what we do. That's what we say. It's what you say to your children. That's what we say when we're speaking truth because we're speaking the truth of God. Verses 10 through 12 do not tell us that Israel's experience or ours will be easy. Look at verses 10 through 12. For you, O oh God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out into a place of abundance. Think about this real quick. What kind of training do you need for that? Okay, look, listen, look at me real quick. What kind of training? What kind of training? Is that a spa? Did God take his people to a spa? Is that what that looks like? That is not what that looks like. It sounds like that they are trained at the highest level for spiritual warfare possible. That, that's what that sounds like. And so what we're saying and what we pray, oh God, give us the ability to say, Lord, let us train them for the darkest nights. 
Let us train them for the coldest nights. Let us train them for the hottest days. Let us train them for the fiercest battles. Let us know that our children are going to be walking down roads that are very frightening and scary and dark. And I don't want them just to be like unaware that this present age is passing away and all of its lust and the one who does the will of God abides forever. And so I've got to keep standing them on the foundation of the gospel. And they have to know those things and stand on those things because there's all kinds of craziness out there. This church is seeking to raise up spiritual warriors for the cross of Christ who are trusting in the power of God and will run the race to the very end. Period. And so is it a serious place? Yes, it is a serious place. Because there are serious matters at stake. Soul matters at stake. Heaven and hell at stake. Eternal blessing or eternal damnation at stake. So yes, this is a serious place. And if it ends up that we have a few people to the glory of God who will stand the test of time as ones who were saints of God walking in the strength that He provides to the very end and finish, we'll do it! We will not sell out for anything else because it costs everything. The price is too high. Your soul's at stake. God carries His people through trouble like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and He meets them in the fiery furnace. It's just what He does. He delights in doing it. It makes for a grand story. It's something you want to read about. That stuff. The Hebrews 11 stuff. God's stories are stories of Daniel in the lion's den. And those kind of people that go into the lion's den pray three times a day. They, they delight in the Word of God. They meditate on it day and night. They're, they're strong and courageous, not in their own strength, but in His strength, in His Word, in His truth, in the power of His Spirit. Come and see God's great deliverance, how He took them through the valley of the shadow of death and brought them out on the other side. That's what He's saying. Is that not awesome? That is awesome. That this present trouble is going to be overcome. And they will delight in their Lord forever. Come and see and join in. So there's a call to worship. He says, see what God has done. The nations are invited to look into that story of redemption. And so then the question is, is what does a heart that is like really truly God's, what does that look like? What, what is the heart of someone who the Lord delights in? Where it, What's a true heart of thanksgiving look like? Verse 13 through 19.
I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered, and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. He is remembering what he has said to the Lord. He's seeking to do that which he promised he would do for the Lord. I will, o- I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. I think it's just important to stop and say, because sometimes we'll look at that and say, man, I'm glad we don't have to do that anymore. It's like, oh, well, okay, I'm, I am too. I mean, I don't really want to get real bloody or what, you know, whatever. But that's not the only point. I think one of the points is this. He is offering his life to the Lord. And he is offering goods that he has and his time, and it's meticulous, and it matters to him. It, 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 you know, it's not just, this kind of thing is not like, oh, I, I, I just kind of make it to church once a month. That's not the kind of thing we see here. This is costly, and that's what he's saying here. I offer these things, and I offer that thing, and it's like, it's a costly worship because a heart of thanksgiving is aligned with that where you're saying like, I am so thankful, what can I do? I'm so thankful, what can I do? It's like if somebody does something really special for you, what do you say? What in the world could I do for them? I could never repay them. Oh, I mean, a note won't do it. Money won't do it. I, I mean, I just, what can I do? That's how someone who's truly seeing and savoring God says, what can I do? I've, I've, I've said, I'll do this, Lord. I'll do this. And he's committed to do that. He is offering his life to the Lord. Verse 16 through 19. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and a high praise was on my tongue. I had cherished iniquity, or if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of of my prayer he's saying I cried out to God he has delivered I cried out really he's not held on to his iniquity I don't think this is saying he's never had iniquity I don't think he's saying there's never been sin in my life I think what he's saying is this I have like thrown aside to the best of my ability my sin God knows it God knows it I've sought to leave it behind. I've sought to walk away from that and come to Him in true, humble faith and thanksgiving in my heart. That's what I've sought to do. A broken and contrite heart, He has told us in Psalm 51, God delights in. A fear of the Lord is like, it's saying like, Lord, you're more, one way you can say it is, He is more precious and more delightful and at the same time, He is frightening. And I revere Him and I'm afraid at some level, but also He is so glorious, I want to be close to Him. Cast the sins away. He knows I've cast them away. He knows I've walked away from those and walked to Him. A person who really is coming to the Lord with a heart of thanksgiving recognizes his spiritual bankruptcy and comes clinging to the cross where justice and mercy meet. He does not hold on to his sin any longer. He has come to hate his sin and to love God more. When Paul concluded in chapters 1 through 11, 
of Romans, this glorious picture of salvation. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacri- as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, casting again your sins away, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It is a heart filled with humble thanksgiving that delights in God and that runs away from evil. This church, again, what we've tried to do imperfectly with imperfect leadership, what we're striving towards is to say to you, God has called us to Himself. God wants you to see the great work He has done of salvation. God is calling people from every tongue, tribe, and nation to taste and see, to come and see who He is and what He has done. The way you know that you're coming to see and savor salvation is in humble contrition, in repentance and faith towards God, you are running after Him. Then he concludes and says, Thanks be to God. Blessed be God, because He has not rejected my prayer or removed His steadfast love from me. God is faithful to His covenant. I can hold on to His promises. So, as a city within a city, we seek to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We do stand on the edge of a new day, kind of. We're like, <laughs> I've had so many people over the years be like, y'all are just hidden. Nobody knows where you are. Well, I think they'll know more where we are, right? And I hope that the, that the thing that they will see is a group of people that are filled with thanksgiving towards God, rescued by Him, and that who are striving to run the race, even though that race is very difficult, who are training, who are training their families, and that we would be the kind of church that would say, hey, come and see, come and enjoy, come delight in God, come and hear of what He's done, come and see what He's done in my life, come and see what we're trying to do with our children as we try to build them up on the, you know, in the faith, and come and join that. And so our prayer should be, Lord, let us be that in the coming years let us shine brightly for you and for your glory let's pray father we thank you for this church this church birthed out of a desire to make your name great in the eyes of the peoples of the world a church in a small way that's had an impact to proclaim the glorious gospel in a way that people can understand and with others that they can run with. We pray, Lord, that we would continue to seek to be people of clarity and a people that have built a community that other people can know what it's like to run. They can be cheered on along the way. We thank you for your faithfulness these 12 years. 
We trust your faithfulness will be with us in the future. In Christ's name, amen.